keeping democracy alive with Bert Cohen. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're really seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shootings, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. We are keeping democracy alive. Uh, And it's really under threat, maybe finished for all I know, uh, with the uh, presidential election of Donald J. Trump. And perhaps the president's most important appointment is that of Secretary of State. Uh, He or she advises the president on matters relating to U.S. foreign policy, participates in high-level negotiations with other countries, is responsible for overall direction, coordination, and supervision of interdepartmental activities of the U.S. government overseas, and ensures the protection of the U.S. government to American citizens, property, and interests in foreign countries. The Secretary of State is the highest-ranking member of the Cabinet. Secretary of State is the third-highest official of the executive branch of federal government and of the U.S. He or she is there to serve the interests of the people of the United States. And as well known by now, Trump's appointment to become next Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, is deeply disturbing to a lot of Americans Tillerson is CEO of ExxonMobil and has said that the company is more important and more powerful to him than the United States. His interest is in serving his investors. It is, of course, crucial that the Secretary of State serve only one master, the United States. As America's top diplomat, the job requires working with all countries in service to the interests of America. And what those interests are is extremely expansive and sensitive at the same time. As CEO of ExxonMobil, Tillerson has famously become good friends with Vladimir Putin, president of Russia. Russia, as we know, has vast oil fields but lacks the infrastructure to get it out and refine it. Well, ExxonMobil has tremendous know-how when it comes to meeting those petroleum needs of Putin. Today on Keeping Democracy Alive, we're going to focus on the worldwide environmental threats opposed by a Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson. Friends of Earth President Eric Pika has issued the following statement. As head of the State Department, Tillerson would have the ability to shape foreign policy and enrich himself and Exxon at the expense of people and the environment. With us today from Friends of the Earth is Ben Schreiber. Ben Schreiber, thank you so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, he heads up the climate and energy team at Friends of the Earth, having previously served as the climate and energy tax analyst at Friends of the Earth. Prior to joining FOE, he was a staff attorney at Environment America, where he focused on energy issues 
and received a BA in sociology from University of Chicago, a JD from Washington University in St. Louis, and an LLM in taxation from Georgetown Law Center. Well, again, thanks for being with us, Ben Schreiber. Looking at their record, is it fair to say ExxonMobil is one of the most aggressive and confrontative businesses on the planet? Uh, there's no question. Um, and it's also fair to say that they have been willing to fund and support um, dictators and 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 countries that are, are, are willing to abuse human rights um, in order to, to further their profits. Yeah, there's a lot of examples of that, and we'll go over some of those. Uh, one of the most important aspects of the job of Secretary of State is national security, preserving the peace. Now, not everyone agrees, but many analysts have concluded that the most direct and severe threat to worldwide stability and national security is none other than climate change. Many people do deny that. As I understand it, even the pro-business American Petroleum Institute has called for a revenue-neutral carbon tax to solve climate change. Pretty radical for them. Yet Tillerson, uh, and this is the the petroleum uh, interest, Tillerson has aggressively tried to undercut any clean power plan. Is this accurate? So, so... Rex Tillerson, as um, the head of ExxonMobil, has supported both the, the Paris Climate Agreements and um, has called for a revenue-neutral carbon tax. But the the reality is that um, they've been lying about the about climate for for almost forty years now. Um, Exxon has known that climate change is a problem and that it's a threat to their business model, and and they've been undermining it and. Um, they are stepping in and trying to stop the Environmental Protection Agency from regulating greenhouse gas emissions through, through the Clean Power Plan. And so, yes, they've been talking a good game about policies like um, a carbon tax, which aren't even close to being implemented. Um, but at the same time, you know, Rex Tillerson has been on record as calling climate change nothing more than an engineering problem. And it, it's really clear that he does not take this uh, this issue seriously, um, and, and he's unwilling to to put um, the good of the American people or, or the global populace above the profits of ExxonMobil. And with this, such an important post, Secretary of State, I mean, it's, as I said, the third most important uh, position in any president's cabinet. What, how, what, do you, what do you think the reasons Trump might have chosen and, you know, Tillerson, given all the complicated uh, things that are hanging by a thread in the world today when it comes to matters of, of war and diplomacy. Uh, well, so getting into the, the mind of Donald Trump is obviously a, a, a difficult and scary thing. Because, yeah. You know, he's, he's erratic at best. But, um, but it's clear that, that Donald Trump wants to have friendlier relationships with Russia. Um, and... and Rex Tillerson um, has has just that. Um, you know, he's he's friends with with Putin. Um, he's been and been given you know awarded high civilian honors, and his company Exxon Mobil stands to benefit um, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, by easing the sanctions on on Russia. And so he's motivated to do very much what what Donald Trump's been talking about, which is which is um, 
you know, changing our relationship with Russia and, and not holding them accountable for their human rights abuses in, in Syria and other places. And what, what has our uh, relationship with Russia been under the uh, Obama administration? It, it strikes me as reasonably friendly. I mean, the, the Cold War has stopped. What, what's the reality you think that uh, uh, the far right and the Trump people might w- want to change? Well, the reality is that Russia has been meddling in our elections, that Russia has been, um, you know, bombing the, the folks of the people in Syria um, and, and helping the Assad regime, and they've undermined international collaboration. So, and you know, obviously they annexed Crimea as well, I mean, in the Ukraine. So, so Russia's been fairly aggressive, but a, a large part of that um, has been that the Republican Party has has actually not allowed Barack Obama, President Obama, to to step up um, and and challenge Russia. Uh, you know, Majority Leader McConnell in the Senate made it very clear that um, if uh, if the president made a big deal about um, Russia meddling within our elections, that they would see that as as partisanship. Um, even though it was it was clear to all of our intelligence agencies that Russia was in fact meddling with our elections, and so that undermined President Obama's ability to deal with with Russia. And so now we have a a Republican um, president who's who's come into office um, and who's promising to to undo sanctions and and to normalize relationships with Russia, um, even as they are being big bad actors on the international stage. And I can't help but wonder, you've been around a, a little while, uh, Ben, and as have I. Ronald Reagan was president for quite some time in the 1980s, and, and he was known as uh, being kind of tough against the Russians. How do you, how do you think, uh, do you think he's rolling over in his grave on this? Yeah, I mean, I think you can see the fissures in, in the Republican Party um, over over Rex Tillerson's nomination. Uh, and there's no doubt that this is a, a, a challenge to people that see American power as as being there for for the good of the world and and this is a really new um, you know neo-colonial view of American power that that Trump is articulating and, and it started with his promise to take the oil um, in Iraq right his his critique that we didn't take the the oil. This is a resource colonialism as foreign policy, and, and Rex Tillerson is really the guy to to implement that kind of policy. Oh, interesting. So if there's oil there, certainly ExxonMobil figures, uh, doesn't matter how they get it, just, just get it, and we'll get into some of that. Uh, if you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Alive, uh, I guess today is uh, Ben Schreiber of Friends of the Earth, and we're focusing mainly on the environmental aspects of a prospective uh, Secretary of State, uh, uh, Rex Tillerson, who the Congress does have to approve. Uh, I would think that they probably would approve it. What, you know, as Bernie Sanders and and many other analysts have felt that uh, probably the most serious threat to international uh, security is climate change. What is the role of the State Department in general as it relates to international climate change negotiations? So, so the State Department is the lead negotiator on international climate negotiations, um, negotiations uh, in, of things like the Paris Accord that, that was agreed to um, a year ago, as well as bilateral 
climate negotiations like the one that we signed with, with China and India. And so as a Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson would have a huge impact on the United States climate policy. Interesting. What about, well, uh, one of the uh, major factors that's been uh, worked on quite a bit and taken a lot of effort through the years is the Paris Agreement. I wonder if you could tell us about what the Paris Agreement is and how it might affect ExxonMobil fossil reserves if implemented. Yep, so the Paris Agreement is the international community coming together and, and reaching a consensus on how to deal with climate change. There's no question that the Paris Agreement is inadequate for, for the, the problem that we're facing. Um, but at the same time, it is the only international um, multilateral forum where countries are coming together to, to try and solve this global problem. And it was reached um, a year ago, so over a year ago in Paris, it's what's called the Paris Agreement. Uh, and when it was finalized, you know, probably under duress, Rex Tillerson and, and ExxonMobil supported the, the Paris Agreement. And the reason is um, because the Paris Agreement is really inadequate. Um, it, it will largely deal with coal um, and, and fossil fuels from the power sector, but it's not probably strong enough to really get after oil and gas um, and, 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 you know, the level of change that we need. And so um, Exxon and, and the big oil companies, you know, viewed this as a way to continue to, to pollute and use the carbon space um, and, and maybe get rid of fossil fuels like, like coal, which were in some ways competing uh, for, that, with, for that carbon space with them. Donald Trump has actually promised repeatedly during the election campaign to, to withdraw the United States from the Paris Agreement. Um, it's not clear he's kind of walked back that a little bit after the election, uh, but it does seem like, like he's um, at the very least committed to uh, not letting the United States um, be leaders on, on climate change. Hmm. So they'd like to be leaders themselves. Um, uh, as a lot of questions have been uh, raised about Putin's interest in the uh, American election, what's, what's in it for him? Tell us, please, how specifically Tillerson might serve Putin and the burgeoning of oil interests, burgeoning oil interests in Russia. So, yeah, so there are two, um, there are two big things, I think, in this election. Well, at least a couple of big things in this election for Putin. Uh, the, the first is, is not really environmental, but, but Putin has annexed Crimea um, in the Ukraine. And the reality is that Donald Trump, um, when he finally figured out where Crimea was and, and that, that Russia had actually moved in the, the Ukraine, uh, has made noises that he's going to normalize that and, and accept that the Crimea is now um, legitimately part of Russia. So that would be a huge coup for, for Russia. Um, the second is obviously the, the Russian um, relationship in, in Syria and, and Russia's continuing to um, work with the Assad regime and, and bomb um, Aleppo and, and, and other parts of, of Syria to ensure that um, Assad is... is in power in, in Syria. So, you know, there's a, a international component there. Um, in response to Russian meddling 
um, across the globe, the United States put in place a, a series of sanctions, economic sanctions on Russia. And those sanctions have undermined a, a deal that ExxonMobil made with, with Russian oil companies to drill for um, oil and gas in, in the Arctic. And so that's a deal that's worth hundreds of millions or, or billions of dollars to ExxonMobil. And so Rex Tillerson has been a proponent of lifting those sanctions from Russia in order to allow um, Exxon, his, his company, to, to drill. And so this could be something that would enrich Rex Tillerson, who has you know millions of dollars of Exxon stock still, and hopefully he'll have to divest that. But, but obviously uh, Donald Trump and, and his precedent is, is really dangerous. Um, so it's something that would... would benefit both Exxon and the Russian government if it's lifted. Uh-huh. So, um, tell us, how much oil is there in Russia that, that Exxon is uh, drilling to get its hands on? So, the Arctic is a huge untapped um, oil reserve, and, and, and you know the irony of ironies is that it's only really becoming accessible because of climate change and melting ice levels, which are which are allowing um, us to to explore in, in the Arctic much more than than we would before. Um, it's hundreds of, of millions. It's well, tens of millions of barrels. It's a, it's a lot of oil. It's, it's you know hundreds of millions of dollars worth of oil. At the same time, um, you know, this is oil that actually we can't recover if we're going to have any chance of, of dealing with climate change. You know, we already have uh, enough oil in, in the proven producing reserves right now that it'll bust the carbon budget, the global carbon budget. And so <clears throat> any new field that we produce in the Arctic or, or somewhere else just means that we're going to worsen our, our, our climate problem. And so and go well beyond not only two degrees, but, but three or four. So the, these are, um, you know, reserves that really are, should be stranded assets and that, that can only be extracted um, at the expense of, of, of people all over the globe who are going to be suffering from, from the impacts of climate change. And the Paris Agreement and all the other agreements are international agreements. Do those other nations that have a stake in it, do they have the ability to uh, pressure on this to, to keep it in the ground? So the irony about the uh, about the climate agreements is that they all deal with um, consumption of fossil fuels and not really about production. Uh, huh. And so, as long as there's a market for Russian oil, um, and and there's you know countries like the United States looking to 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 buy it, um, the Paris Agreement wouldn't actually stop. Russia from from producing oil, um, so it's really it's only a a consumption side solution, and I think this is one of the things that's that's really inadequate with the with the Paris deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really clear that we need to actually keep fossil fuels in the ground, and we need to talk about where those fossil fuels are going to stay in the ground. You know, we've been pushing for a long time for for the United States to take leadership and and mm-hmm. to start by. Um, you know, ending leasing on public lands in the United States as a first step. But countries like the United States, which have have exploited many of our oil and gas reserves and our coal reserves too, need to show leadership by, by keeping fossil fuels on the ground and dealing with the supply as well as the demand. Yeah, I, have, I would think the, the heroin crisis is somewhat similar. You know, you can bust all the dealers you want to bust, but as long as there's a demand there, 
there's going to be use of it. That's the way it seems to be. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Live, your host here, Bert Cohen. Our guest today is Ben Schreiber of Friends of the Earth. And we are talking about our good buddy, Rex Tillerson, who, believe it or not, uh, intends to be, uh, or Donald Trump intends him to be Secretary of State. And we've all heard about some uh, oil reserves in the Arctic area off of uh, Alaska and uh, around the Arctic Circle. Tell us about uh, uh, ExxonMobil's interest in such projects, please. Yep, so you know, the, actually the biggest actor in, in the Arctic um, has, has been Shell, largely, in the United States. Um, where where ExxonMobil has had an interest in, in the Arctic has been in, in Russia, um, in collaboration with, with Russian um, partners. And so they have deals with Russia that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars to extract oil from, from the Arctic. You know, one of the things that happened in, in the latest five-year drilling plan in the United States is that um, drilling in the Arctic Ocean was actually excluded from that plan for, for the first time. And so one of the things that we expect to happen um, is that, that Donald Trump will try, probably try to rewrite um, the, the five-year drilling plan to include a, a lot more new areas um, that will be open for, for oil and gas drilling in the United States. I'll be curious to see if somehow that, if they tried to sell us that, you know, new supply of oil is somehow boosting our national security. I, I am sure we will hear about national security. You know, I, I think one of the, um, one of the things that's, that's well, there are a couple of, of significant changes that, that Donald Trump has hinted about um, throughout his, his administration. The first is he's made it very clear that he wants to get rid of the calculation for the social cost of carbon. Ooh. So he, he wants to stop our government from looking at the downsides, the impacts of, of fossil fuel extraction of, of carbon emissions when we make government decisions. So you, know, wow. you only get the benefits and none of the downsides when you look at um, when you look at at things like drilling or things like uh you know regulations for, sure. for power plants and and obviously you know that puts a thumb on the scale for fossil fuels in in a big way um you know the second thing he's made it very clear is he wants to to really gut regulations yeah. um you know the stream uh, the stream protection rule that was announced yesterday has already come under attack um there are you know a series of of rules and regulations, such as uh, regulations for methane as well, that um, from, from the Bureau of Land Management that are, have been proposed and are likely to be at, under attack by both the Republican Congress and by the Trump administration. And so it's clearly going to try and make it um, easier for oil and gas to get hold of our public lands and, and waters and, and to pollute rivers and streams um, at, at the expense of the American people. <laughs> Yeah, it's so blatant. It's it's <clears throat> it's kind of hard to believe. It almost sounds like a Saturday Night Live joke, but this is real. Now, this Rex Tillerson has said quite clearly it doesn't matter where the oil comes from or how they get it. His job is to get it. For example, I found this interesting. In West Africa, uh, ExxonMobil has made lucrative deals with the government of Equatorial Guinea, which, according to the New York Times, quote, arbitrarily detains and tortures critics, disregards elections, and has faced international pressure for using oil profits to enrich the president's family. President 
Obiang, I guess it is, and his family have allegedly looted hundreds of millions of dollars from the country's treasury. His son owned 11 luxury vehicles, including, and this one impresses me, a Bugatti Veyron valued at about $2 million, one car. Uh, Most of the population of Equatorial Guinea lives on less than a dollar a day. Hundreds of millions of dollars from ExxonMobil went straight to the president's family, end of quote. The American Foreign Uh, Corruption Practices Act prohibits bribes to foreign officials to be able to do business. And we all know that wars and peace are often tied to anger about perceived economic unfairness. And this sounds like perceived economic unfairness just a little. Could it be any more stark that what ExxonMobil is doing in Equatorial Guinea uh, might be uh, fanning the flames of a war. Part of the job is the of the Secretary of State is to serve peace and stability. It seems to me that such blatant corruption can only feed anger and wars in Africa. Can a Secretary of State actually possibly intentionally or just through uh, carelessness start wars like this as opposed to stopping them, which is what he or she is supposed to do? So the United States has has a history, and not a proud history, of interfering with with governments all over all over the globe. And you know we've seen it in Iran, we've seen it in, in Latin America. Uh, you know we we saw it in Cuba before the the revolution in, in Castro, where you know the Central Intelligence Agency, the State Department have have interfered with the affairs of of other countries. Uh, you know the election in Chile is a, is another example of, of that. Um, oftentimes, more often than not, it's because we want to um, put in place rulers who are sympathetic to American interests, even if um, you know those are not democratically supported elector uh, governing governances, um, or or even if they are you know <laughs> fine with with human rights abuses like like Pinochet um, was, and, and so. You know, this is part of 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 the American um, history of of neocolonialism. What's I think a little bit different here, or, or what's a little bit different now, is that um, both Donald Trump and Rex Tillerson have made it very clear, you know, publicly that they don't see human rights as, as an issue. This is this is very much a resource extraction, um, American interest. Um, type of regime that that they're talking about. And, and, you know, Rex Tillerson has made it very clear that he values stability over anything else. And in some ways, you know, democratically elected regimes are are not, um, governments are not stable for oil and gas interests. um, Because if you have a, 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 Democratically, democratically elected government, you know, four years from now, you could end up with new regulations or, or, a new government that's maybe not as favorable to the the oil and gas industry, and so a lot of what um, we've seen ExxonMobil do is invest in places like Chad or, or Equatorial Guinea, where you have strongman rulers who are very, very um, favorable. Or um, Indonesia is another example. Strongman governments where they're very favorable to the oil and gas industry because they're using that money to prop up the regime, and so there's a there's a, a cycle of, of mutual beneficial, um, you know, call it corruption or, or kickbacks or or self-interest at the very least, so that, you know, the, the population itself is being kept in poverty right. while some very small sec- 
segment of, of the population is receiving massive benefits from from resource extraction, and that's why we, you know I think a large reason we have the resource curse, where some of the world's um, most resource countries actually have some of the poorest populations because the the benefits from those resources are not evenly distributed. They're not distributed at all, and, and in fact, you know the profits are being used to keep those people down. I think there's also, you know, a real risk if you, if you look at um, the United States and, and the way that Donald Trump wants to take the government. You know, he is putting in place a, a set of cabinet members who are incredibly wealthy, who don't believe in, in things like the minimum wage for, for the Secretary of Labor, who are looking at um, really taking down labor standards and, and giving benefits to to corporations and, and other really wealthy folks. And so you're seeing um, a government that really is for corporate power and corporate, corporate profits um, against the, the, the working people, um, not only at the international level, but also at the domestic level as well. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose it's, it's profitable at both ends, because if you, you know, just uh, screw the people, basically, and, and uh, have a... Uh, oligarchy in power, uh, and there may be a war, well, that's what we have a military-industrial complex for. we got uh, weapon systems like crazy to keep them down. And uh, same thing with prison reform, right? You know, we lock people up for decades for, for small crimes. You know, the right. 25% of the world's incarcerated are, are in the United States right now. That's part of, of you know, this um, domestic system whereby we keep, um, you know, people... Some, some people poor, and, and we have massive and growing inequality in the United States. So we do. And, of course, Bernie Sanders caught on when he was talking about that. Oh, a lot of different aspects of the job of a secretary of state, which is what we're talking about here with Ben Schreiber and keeping democracy alive, Ben Schreiber of Friends of Earth. The Export-Import Bank, what, what do they do? And, and specifically, what are uh, Friends of the Earth's concerns about lifting sanctions uh, with ec- which export import banks suspended uh, financing for in 2014? Yeah, so the export import bank um, of the United States, what it does is it invests in projects all over all over the globe, um, and it and it does so to help um, you know American interests, American corporations compete internationally, and and. This is actually a you know a quite controversial um, piece of the government that many um, Republican uh, senators tried to to defund um, in in the last two years. One of the things that that they have historically done is is funded a lot of fossil fuel projects um, overseas. You know, coal mines, natural gas pipelines, power plants, etc. Um, and so. What Friends of the Earth and, and other environmental organizations did was we sued the the XM Import Bank and, and um, the OPEC, the overseas um, the overseas private investment corporation. Um, so we sued them and, and said, you know, you need to consider greenhouse gas emissions as, as part of your um, portfolio when you when you decide who you're going to. Um, invest in. Um, and as, as part of that, we got an agreement um, that not to fund, um, largely not to fund coal plants. 
So this was a, a huge victory, um, and it's, a, it's something that the Congress has been trying to repeal or undermine ever since. Um, this is really damaging on, on two levels. The first is that the you're funding fossil fuel projects, and, and um, you know we need to stop. We already have too many of them. But the second is the United States has really shown leadership internationally on ending fossil fuel subsidies. At the G20, President Obama led a pledge by by G20 countries to end fossil fuel subsidies, and and the G20 pledge was um, part of that effort. And so, if Donald Trump actually succeeds in in stepping back the overseas um, petroleum, the the OPEC and XM um, ban on on coal more mining and, and other projects, um, you could actually see other countries following suit as well and investing in, in um, projects all over the mm. globe. And, and so obviously that's a really bad thing. Um, one of the you know, key indicators, I think, that Exxon, um, uh, that, that this is something that the Trump administration might do, is that Rex Tillerson, there's a, there's a project that Rex Tillerson and Exxon have been um, asking for um, for money from from the U.S. international financing financial institutes to fund um, overseas, and so you know, mm. Exxon has direct interest in in seeing these loans going to um, U.S. companies again to to extract oil and gas overseas. Wow, talk about change in direction. Well, I guess people that voted wanted change. I have a hard time believing this is the kind of change they had in mind. I, I, the Keystone Pipeline has a long history of controversy here in the United States. I believe President Obama stopped the questionable and massive project. Tillerson, I believe, has repeatedly urged approval of the Keystone XL Pipeline. What kind of impact can a new administration's State Department have on Keystone? Is that is that done? Are we sure? Or, or what can happen with that? Yeah, so... That's a good question, and, and it's one that we're grappling with right now. Obviously, Keystone was a signature win for the environmental movement, um, and the decider for the, the Keystone XL pipeline is the Secretary of State, um, with with the President being kind of able to override the Secretary of State. And the reason is because the Keystone XL would pass the cross the border between right. Canada and the United States. And so if you cross the border, you need a, um, a presidential permit for, for the border crossing. Mm-hmm. And that's what President Obama did not give to uh-huh. TransCanada. Um, right now, the, the company um, that wants to build Keystone XL has not, it's TransCanada, they have not actually applied for a new permit. But we expect that as soon as the Trump administration um, comes mm-hmm. into office, they will once again apply for a permit, and, and Donald Trump is going to, and, and Rex Tillerson, who's on record supporting the pipeline, are, are going to try and move to, to grant that permit as quickly as possible. Oh, just lovely. <laughs> Another controversial pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline, has recently recently come to a halt. My understanding is the proposed project does not cross international borders. So my guess is the State Department has no power to overrule the Army Corps of Engineers. Is there some good news on that? <laughs> so that's right. This is not a, a decision that um, Rex Tillerson would make. But we should note that uh, Donald Trump had stock 
in the company that wants to build the Dakota Access, so energy transfer partners, the, the company that wants to build the Dakota Access pipeline, Donald Trump has had a stock investment. Um, Rick Perry, who's the um, oh, energy, <laughs> the head of the Department of Energy, has been nominated. Um, he's actually on the board of directors for energy transfer partners. Mm. And the company has, has basically already announced that they're just going to wait until the, the new administration. Sure. Um, and they expect that under the new administration, the Army Corps will will grant a permit. And and so, you know, President Obama did not reject a permit there. He just required an environmental impact um, analysis. And and so the company is sitting there waiting and expecting that the Trump administration is, is going to, to basically on day one give them the ability to go under the Missouri River and, and complete the pipeline. But I thought the Army Corps of Engineers was, was kind of independent and that, they, and that they were not, you know, subject to uh, political pressure like that. Do you, you think there's probably some way they can do it anyway? I guess. Yeah, I mean, none of these um, agencies are, are totally right. independent or, or very few of them are. Mm. Um, and um, there's no question that the Army Corps of Engineers did not follow a... Right. You know, consultative consultative process with with indigenous peoples when they when they right. um, were going through um, and, and deciding where to where to route that pipeline. Right. Um, but at the same time, I you know I think there'll be incredible pressure from the Trump administration to 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 build that pipeline, and it's going to take you know activists on the ground, people showing up, a continued resistance yes. to to make sure that pipeline isn't built. <sighs> fun, fun and games. And as I recall, Exxon Valdez, that disaster, I don't remember what year that was, was just off of the coast of Alaska. Was Tillerson at ExxonMobil at the time, or was that before his time? No, well, Tillerson's been at ExxonMobil for 40 years. I mean, literally, oh, he wow. went there um, right, after, right out of college. He was not the, the CEO right. of Exxon at the time of the Valdez, Valdez though. But... <laughs> I, that's what they do, I guess. And uh, there's something in uh, ExxonMobil's Papua New Guinea liquefied natural gas project. Wh- where does that stand, and what could happen uh, should Tillerson get that job, get the job of Secretary of State? I can't imagine. No, I have to admit, I don't know about that particular project. I mean, Exxon has really questionable projects all over the globe, and we're, and we're only in the process right now of researching. We're in the process of researching all of them. Uh-huh. Um, but the, literally, the you know the tentacles of Exxon spread all over the globe, and this is why Rex Tillerson, as as Secretary of State, um, is such a massive conflict of interest because the company that that he has run and and, and been a part of for for the last forty years, literally, you know, has its own state apparatus that's that's built to make profits, and now we're we're seeing you know potentially the United States. Um, government functions and international policy being used to to ensure profits for for ExxonMobil and not for the good of the American people or, or not to you know spread human rights and, and dignity across the globe well maybe America's been transformed into uh, some kind of uh, oh just a part of the profit making machine for certain few corporations it kind of does look like that uh, despite being immensely profitable company, is it true that our tax dollars are subsidizing ExxonMobil? Yeah, we give we yeah. give billions of dollars uh, a year to oil and gas companies in in tax subsidies, and I think this is one of the you know the big questions with with the push for tax reform. Um, hmm. 
are we going to have tax reform that basically continues to re- reward massive corporations like Exxon with, with billions of dollars of tax breaks while also lowering their corporate income tax rate at the same time um, and, and, and cutting tax rates and taxes on, on billionaires like the estate tax? Or are we going to have a, you know, a reform of, of the tax code that actually helps um, working Americans? And, and you know, from, from Donald Trump's pride in not paying taxes, it, it seems pretty clear yeah. that um, we're going in, in, in the other direction. You know, I think it should also be noted that Rex Tillerson and Exxon have used offshore tax havens in, in the Bahamas and other places to avert paying um, you know, the, their fair share of U.S. taxes as well. So there are a whole mm. lot of ways that Exxon is, is re- receiving you know, at least millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of tax subsidies every year from the federal government. And that comes from you and me. Isn't that swell? President Obama played a leadership role in the 2009 G20 agreement to phase out fossil fuel subsidies by 2020. As Secretary of State, Tillerson could go back on those commitments. What are those subsidies, and and from what governments? Yeah, so so the subsidies um, that President Obama committed to to phase out include things like um, accelerated depreciation, um, or um, the ability to expense refineries, uh, a whole host of, of tax subsidies worth millions of dollars, tens of billion, well, roughly $10 billion a year to the fossil fuel industry um, every year. And Congress has actually stalled, Republican Congress has, has actually stalled the level of reform that um, you know, President Obama and, and others have wanted on oil and gas subsidies. Uh, and so we haven't seen, you know, nearly the progress um, or the leadership from from the United States as as we would hope. Um, the, the the fear is actually that we could go in the the wrong direction now. That the other direction that the Department of Energy could shift money away from renewable energy uh, and towards fossil fuel production. That things like the production tax credit for wind and the investment tax credit for solar could could be repealed, and the oil and gas breaks could could stay on the books and and so you know not only we could go through a situation where where our leadership has been pushing for reform but but that reform has been stalled in in Congress to one where both Congress and the presidency is is actually pushing for more investment in fossil fuels and and less in renewable energy you know Donald Trump is a pretty pretty strongly on the record as hating wind well, he should stop talking. Uh, I guess he doesn't talk much. He just tweets. Uh, looking at a little bit of history, Teapot Dome was, until Watergate, considered the greatest and most sensational scandal in American history. Today, people have heard of it, but it's largely forgotten. The story is that during the administration of President Warren Harding, Secretary of the Interior Albert Bacon Fall had leased Navy petroleum reserves at Teapot Dome in Wyoming to other locations in California to private oil companies at low rates without competitive bidding. Fall was later convicted of accepting bribes from the oil companies and became the first cabinet member to go to prison. Might this be any kind of foreshadowing, a precedent for such blatant, blatant conflicts of interest? And today, with truth often being a mere inconvenience to be avoided, I wonder about the prospects of any any blatant conflicts of interest. Your thoughts? It's really clear that there are blatant contra- conflicts of interest in the Trump administration. Uh, we've been talking a lot about about Rex Tillerson and Exxon, but the the, the Trump Hotel is actually, I think, the 
the the the most blatant and in your face one that that we've seen um you know the Trump hotel here in Washington DC has really tried very hard to um get foreign dignitaries to stay in and use the, their hotel um in order to curry favor with with the administration and um you know through anonymous quotes it's pretty clear that foreign governments feel incredible pressure to to use that hotel and, and not others um and that's a you know i think a, a very clear example of a of a conflict of interest and donald trump making money off the presidency the the problem and, and the difficulty is that much of the oversight um function for for the administration in our government happens through Congress. And mm. right now, you know, Republicans control both the House and the Senate, and they are incredibly partisan and unwilling to to examine um, the Trump administration, at, at least to this point. And, and you can see that, that with, you know, the way that they're handling even the investigation into Russians meddling with our with our election. Um, and, and the fact that they actually haven't been putting pressure on Donald Trump to divest uh, his his portfolio, put it into a blind trust, that they're letting the Trump children um, participate in, in meetings with foreign leaders and, and mm. vetting of cabinet members while also running the business. Um, the, the Trump administration is basically becoming a, a robber baron kleptocracy, and the Republicans in, in the House and the Senate at least right now, have been unwilling to do anything about it. I think the only way that that changes is if the American people clamor up and, and demand that the Republicans um, watch watch over and, and um, provide, over, provide oversight. And, and right now, you know, the, the signals that they've taken from this election is that there will not be consequences to, to Donald Trump for his obvious blatant blatant conflicts of interest. Um, that actually needs to change, and, and it might not change until the 2018 elections. Um, now, you know, there are laws and rules, and he doesn't, he doesn't care about them, clearly. And people all over the place are asking me, what can we do? We want to resist. This is terrible. How can we resist? What is, what is Friends of the Earth doing? And what, what do you see that that uh, anyway, Rex Tillerson and the other kleptocrats can uh, be stopped. Yeah, so we are definitely going to resist. We are not going to let the, the Trump um, kleptocracy move forward with, without um, being checked. So there, I think there are a couple of, of really important things that people can do. Uh, the first is that the Democrats can stop in the Senate, have the filibuster still, and they can stop a whole lot of, of legislation going forward. Um, you know, we don't remember, but just eight years ago, President Obama actually had much larger margins in both the House and the Senate. He had a supermajority in the Senate, and his own party could, could pass um, anything that, that they wanted, provided they could, you know, come together. Uh, and even then, you know, a lot of his agenda was stifled. Uh, what What folks need to do is actually talk to their members of Congress, their senators in particular, and let them know that they don't want them to, to allow the Trump to, to move forward with this kleptocracy. They want them to stand up and fight. And, and Democratic senators need to hear that consistently for the next two years, the next four years, 
because um, unless if they're not hearing that signal and, and they're worried that actually the American people are with Donald Trump, they're they're less likely to, to stand up to him. So I think that's first. The second is showing up at protests, um, standing in front of of pipelines, um, showing up at town hall meetings, writing letters to the editor, being heard. This is this is not a moment where we can stand back and, and allow the normal order to continue. We need to actually be involved in 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 a whole um, new way, so that so that. The scandals are, are out there. You know, I think one of the one of the issues in, in this country is that there are really two sets of news, and and a lot of these things just kind of get brushed aside and and, and they can be ignored. Um, and we need to make sure that that's not possible. And then things like that organizations like Friends of the Earth are going to do is we're going to sue um, the Donald Trump administration basically from day one to stop them from from doing things and make sure that they're they are following the laws because. Sure, there are, there are a lot of things that they can do administratively, but they have to follow the right rules and procedures, and, and the government moves slowly, and, and, and it needs deliberation and, and thought, and they need to, to actually you know, base their decisions on science and, and sound reasoning, mm. and so we're going to hold them accountable by using the courts to make sure that they do that. Sounds good. Tell us briefly about Friends of the Earth. There's a lot of environmental organizations. What's special about FOE? Yeah, so Friends of the Earth is the U.S. Um, member of the world's largest grassroots federation of environmental organizations with a presence in 75 countries all over the globe. Wow. Uh, so, you know, we have a, a membership here in the United States, of course, but we also have members all over the world that are, that are coming together to fight um, for uh, environmental justice and, and um, public health. Pretty radical, environmental justice and public health. Boy, <laughs> unbelievable. Absolutely amazing. Ben, uh, thanks for being with us. Ben Schneider of Friends of the Earth. Very uh, informative, not particularly uplifting, but we're not without power. We can, we can act and we will. And if people want to get in touch with FOE, what's the website? It's www.foe.org. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Stripped by a mountain, sitting in a line Leonard Bernstein, Liam Nash, Brad Snap, Lenny Bush and Lester Banks Birthday party, cheesecake, jelly bean, boom Symbiotic, patriotic, slam, but nap It's the end of the world as we know it.